0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the City of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! Also with us this week, all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Greetings!
1: I used Jed's intro there. That's right. We're all shifting over one.
0: Uh, Conspicuous by his absence, regular co-host Glenn Fitzgerald, who's on special assignment. I forgot to ask where he's going, but you know, Glenn moves (laughs) in mysterious ways. (laughs) So we wish him well, wherever he might be out there. Uh, we are going to press on in his stead. We have some great questions from you folks. Got a lot of fun stuff planned. But first, I am forced to declare a, well, it's de- several different kinds of emergencies. We've, we've categorized our emergencies for. This is a, I can't believe they actually put that on the internet. This is oh a legalism emergency. Always, uh, always fun. And this is our first recording post-Halloween. In some ways, a leftover Halloween emergency. Ooh, There's a lot going on. We were sent. Uh, this is a little while back. It took us. It took us a minute to get to it, but we were sent an article on Twitter dot com. I've heard of that. Um, noted. Not the worst of the type of website it is, which is something. <laughs> um, uh, from uh, a celebrity pastor who had taken a question and taken it in a direction. We discussed this gentleman before. We don't like to name names on the show, really, but. Uh pawn jiper, if you will. Which ah. does sound ah. like someone from the extended Star Wars universe. Definitely. And you can, <laughs> if you're someone who's skilled in visual arts, you can draw that Jedi to your heart's content.
1: I, I was I was when you first said it, I was thinking like medieval bard. That's good too. Oh, yes. Well, that does
0: bring up the idea of a le- what a legalistic Jedi would be like. <laughs> Just like the one guy at the council meeting who never wants to let anybody become a master. Be like, I just really don't like the way he does some things. (laughs) Feels like you're not taking your relationship with the force seriously. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: But so, uh, pastor John here, oops, pastor, you can't say pastor pawn. That was, will never work as a, as an literative. Y'all know who I'm talking about, but I'm not saying it just in case he's like Beetlejuice. I don't want to summon him. Um, so he wrote in a question about, uh, uh, role play between married people and such fantasizing and whatnot. And that's, that's lovely and all. And you think, well, you know, it's obviously not everybody's cup of tea, but you know, isn't the whole thing about, uh, Christians get legalistic about sex is, you know, nothing before you're married, but then once you're married, you know, whatever, uh, you'd think, but then we get to the first answer, first, uh, sentence of the answer here. But she opens with, first, fantasizing sin is sin. Oh. Playing out a situation or behavior in your mind because of its pleasure that is sinful, a sinful situation or sinful behavior, if you did it outwardly, is sin in your mind. And this is true for fantasies. Then it is all the more true that play acting sin is sin. Don, dun don." <laughs> So there's a, there's a lot going on there, one of which is possibly a Guinness World Record for the number of uses of yeah. sin in one sentence. That's true. A sentence, if you will, you, can, you know, that's more of a written wow. joke, but I, I trust the the literacy of the audience. No, it's good. That's good. The other part is um, there's some some troubling implications. And as we come out of the Halloween season, we're forced to ask... Did you tempt your children into sin by pretending to be someone who does bad things? <laughs> That's right. That Joker costume seemed real cute. But apparently, according to some Presbyterian dude on the internet, your child is essentially a mass murderer now because they wore that.
2: <laughs> nice work, Parrot.
0: <laughs> That's right. They may as well have poisoned Gotham's water supply themselves.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and the other concerning part, and I know that both uh, Lee and Jed are, are large film buffs and, and Jed has done some filmmaking. Um, Jed, the do, do people that you've cast in some of your short films as hitmen and yeah. such things, did they realize you were uh, condemning them to their, them to eternal damnation with that gig? Well,
2: wow. you know, I I knew that on their behalf, which is why oh. I only cast uh, practicing Satanists so oh. that, you know, it, it's it's like an insurance policy. You know, I, I wouldn't want people, you know, playing against type, so to speak. That that probably does limit your pool, though. Well, you know, I mean, I, I figure the important thing is, you know, to to have people be be comfortable. Because, you know, we all as as children, we've all had moments where, you know, we were on the schoolyard and we thought, you know, maybe we'll play pirates. And then we immediately thought, that is sinful and I should never do that again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean,
1: I feel like in the city of Chicago, in the first place, Jed, the pool is a little broader than it is down here in the good old South.
0: (laughs) You're going to have a hard time finding a classically trained Satanist actor in the greater Knoxville (laughs) area.
1: (laughs) What I'm saying is, so, uh, and I have two daughters. They're both in the theater program at their local high school. And so I would like to ask this, uh, this famous pastor, are you condemning my children to hell? It certainly sounds that way.
0: Well, Lee, I, I believe that the current production they're both in is Clue, yes. which centers around <laughs> what, Lee, what are they pretending to do
2: every night on stage? A
0: murder mystery. That's right.
2: <laughs> Lee, Lee l- let me ask you this. Is one of them the murderer? Hmm? Who done it
1: changes every night. But if the question is if if the question is not who done the murder but who done the sin, all of them.
0: <laughs> oh man, Legalistic Clue would be a sh- just a terrible board game. Yeah. <laughs> Colonel Mustard also did it in the rectory in his
1: heart. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I want to say is Look, uh, 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 uh over the like an umbrella over this whole conversation, uh married people, your boudoir is your business. Okay. So on the record, this podcast, it's it's not the pastor's business, it's not anybody else's business. But I think we should just leave Halloween alone. Look, when I was in the 4th grade, yeah, I dressed up as Dick Tracy. Was I uh, solving any crimes? No. I just wanted the candy. Fifth grade? Yeah, I was a Ninja Turtle. Was I kicking any butt in on the New York City streets? No. I just wanted the candy, Matt. That's all I wanted was the candy.
0: Well, what I'm hearing is that uh, Lee has basically done some police brutality, because I saw that Dick Tracy movie, and he yeah. wasn't reading anyone their Miranda rights. So I think Lee <laughs> has a lot to answer for.
1: Look, I didn't pour any concrete on anybody.
0: Okay, Matt? <laughs> Man, that is a reference that we sometimes make some dated references on this show. But that's like <laughs> a four-year window. Yeah,
2: that goes way to back. To seeing yeah. the
0: Warren Beatty-Dick Tracy movie. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's my question. Given this new news that anything you pretend to do in any walk of life, you've, you're responsible for it as if you've done it, is anyone starting a ministry or reaching out specifically to Shakespearean actors? Because those wow. people, have, you know, <laughs> Ian McKellen's got a pretty high body count at this point.
2: Yes. Yes, he does. Like,
0: he played wow. Richard III, like, every night.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, like, when Christy and I, in college, went to go see Fiddler on the Roof at the uh, Tennessee Performing Arts Center in Nashville. And the guy that played Tevye had played Tevye 4,700 times. Which wow. means that he had he had pretended to disown his own daughter 4,700 times at the end of the show for Hava shame is disowned by Tevya. spoiler alert for fiddler on the roof. We
0: apologize if anyone <laughs> was going to check that out after the eternals we're, we're not trying to do this, but this, this does bring a very, a very one other very important point and that's a, a wider appeal to people on the internet, you have to stop asking John Piper about your sex life.
1: Uh, there you yeah. go. That's really a good point.
0: Please don't do that.
2: Yeah.
1: Because he's going to write
0: something weird about it. And then people are going to send it to us. And now I have to know that there's a certain segment of the populace in this world who has some kind of question about that area of their life and is so bereft of other ideas. They think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to email John Piper.
1: So here's what I want to know, Matt, is at, like, if somebody was to send this question in to the pastor and he was to say, Hey, you're married. Your boudoir is your business. End of article. What would happen inside your brain?
0: Well, Lee, I'm glad you asked because I have a a mental health tip that i like to share. I'd like to share with all the people. And it's what I call uh, the ice cream sandwich opportunity. And okay. that is whenever you have to think about something you don't want to think about, whenever you have to engage with it, you have the option to not engage with it and spend the time you would have been engaging with it, thinking about ice cream sandwiches or the oh, first section of sandwiches. your choice. I don't want to put that on you, but I think if I saw that and it just said, dear pastor pawn, we are this and we're married and consenting. And he said, well, um, you know, if, if there were some trepidation on anyone's end, that would be a problem because communication is very important enthusiastic consent is very important, but as long as you're married and you're both into it, then Hey, you know, you know, it's great. I would then just think, well, that's just three minutes. Think about ice cream sandwiches now. Yeah. and That would be a massive improvement to my day. Instead of having to go back through the backstory of what happened in this poor person's life that they thought I have this vulnerable question about, about sex and about my relationship and about communication. And about a number of uh, very, you know, tender issues for a lot of people. And I need somewhere to go with that. And I've looked at every available option to me and I'm going to email John Piper. <laughs> Here's the thing. And we're not, we're not knocking emailing internet people. That's, that's our whole bread and butter here. We've, we've had questions like this before on the blog and on the podcast, mm-hmm. happy to do it, but here to, to the, the poor question asker here, I, I would ask this. What, what answer did you think you were going to get?
1: Right, 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 right.
0: Did you think you were going to get a, a nuanced, sex-positive, really uh, affirming answer about this?
2: Because There was no chance of that.
0: No. You were going to get an answer that started with, well, you wrote into me, so I know it's a sin, <laughs> but how? <laughs> Maybe that would be the uh, evangelical version of Clue. Find it the would sin? Be But how is it a sin?
1: (laughs) That's like, that's like, where's Waldo? That's like, yes, the the Presbyterian children's cartoon book is where's the sin? Where's (laughs) Sindo?
0: Another great option would be a, a kind of sin mad libs. Yes. Like we give you the, the kind of the bare basics, but then you throw in the very specific things that make it sinful.
2: Oh, that's good. That's yes. very, very good.
0: All these things are more fun and would probably be more productive in some way than the answer that was spit out on this uh, Christian blog on the Internet. Uh, yeah. So uh, people, a, a plea from some very tired podcasters, please stop asking these people these questions.
1: <laughs>
0: you know what they're going to say. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. It's not
1: good for us. But their basic answer is you're bad. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's the that's the that's the that's the heartbeat of the answer is you're bad. Let me illuminate the many ways why. Yeah.
0: I would like someone who is who is knows computers and can do like the the neural networking and the AI learning and stuff to create a bot that the that people can write into and it just spits out Pastor Lovejoy from The Simpsons answers.
2: Oh, that would wow. be very good.
0: Be like, Pastor, dear Pastor Lovejoy bot, my husband and I have been exploring role-playing. Is that a sin? And, oh, long answer, no with an if. Short answer, no with a but.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never popular, Marge, have you ever read this thing? Technically, we're not allowed to go to the bathroom.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, see, the problem with you answering that in that way, Matt, is now I want also, like, a a Martin bot from The Simpsons. Yes. Yeah. Tastes like burning. (laughs) Any, uh, AI
0: rigged to just spit out sentence quotes would again, probably be more helpful than whatever this has been. Certainly. And on that, we will declare emergency off. Yes. If, if you have questions you would like to, to write in, we'll give you some ways to do that at the end. You can also, uh, reach out to uh, us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bridge Chicago, where we have lots of good stuff, including our weekly bridge cast, which is uh, we answer questions that our bridge attendees have written in and thank the good Lord above role play has not come up yet. And if it does, I'm going to be sick that night because I ain't taking that particular uh, preaching bullet, but uh, we've got uh, people asking some great questions about stuff like fear and identity and, uh, re- growing in a relationship with God, all sorts of great stuff. If you want to check out a video of our bridge service, facebook.com slash bridge cog. If you can't be with us on Tuesday in Chicago, it is the next best thing. You can also check out mission, com slash BridgeBox. Get some great encouraging stuff into your inbox. First of every month, mission, com slash BridgeBox. All right. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you handle this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways that you can get in touch with us. Our first question comes in and says, I know that having a relationship with God is important. I believe in Jesus, but I have no idea where to start with the relationship part. What does that actually mean? And a very, very cool question. And Jed, where would we start off here?
2: This is a cool question. We are really glad that you wrote in. And I want to pose kind of a thought experiment to you. And Here's the thought experiment. I want you to imagine, what if you had a place where you could be totally honest with another Person with zero fear of ever being judged or rejected. Mm. And let's build on that for a second. You don't have to be correct in the things that you say. You don't have to be morally right in the things that you say. You don't have to be internally consistent in the things that you say. You don't have to defend your position. You can just say, here's what I think, here's what I feel, and you will never, ever be judged or rejected. That's the thought experiment. Think about that for a second. I think what you're likely to find is, as you consider that possibility, is that would be a total game changer, right? For a couple of reasons. The, the first is we know just from study of human psychology that the ability to unburden yourself is incredibly therapeutic. You know, the ability to share what's on your mind, share what you're thinking about, what you're worried about is super helpful. If if nothing else, it, it you know take some weights off of you for a while but i think most of us find that even in relationships that are really good and really strong like we you know we we don't want to come off a certain way you know think think how often you know it occurs to you i don't want to come off as rude or i don't want to come off as a jerk or i don't want to come off as unfriendly you know a lot of us spend a lot of mental bandwidth on the idea of i don't want to come off x I don't want to be perceived as X, Y, Z or ABC. And the the biblical idea of beginning to start a relationship with God is this incredible, unique place where that's never a concern. You will never come off anyway with God because God already knows everything about you. Um, You you will never surprise God. You will never offend God. You will never... um, uh, you, you will never make God wonder if maybe you have other plans that you need to attend to, and maybe this dinner party should have ended 30 minutes ago, and maybe we're all a bit bored now. That will never happen between you and God. Um, you can just be 100% yourself at all times with no filter. And that's an amazing thing. That That is a truly unique thing in your life that Actually, I don't think you can get anywhere else. And I really want you to have that. I, I want everybody to have that because I think it's a, a source of strength and a source of um stability and a source of comfort in your life. And I think you deserve to have those things. It's a hard world out there, man. A life is not yeah. easy. And having something that gives you comfort and stability and strength, man, is really, really valuable. And if you're not sure where to start, what I've been describing is prayer. That's what I've been describing, where you go to God and you just tell him what the heck you're thinking about and how you're feeling, and what the deal is with, with no worries and no fears. That's prayer. And that's the place that I would encourage you to begin. You don't need to use any religious language at all. Um, you don't need to quote the Bible. You don't even need to know the Bible. Um, the The only thing that is necessary for prayer is Openness to the idea that perhaps there might be a God who might be listening that's that's basically it if you can if you can summon the thought that maybe there's a God who might care what I think, congratulations you are ready to pray that's it you've done it. I think what you will find is that there is a God who cares desperately about you and wants to hear everything that you have to say and will never grow bored of you, but you kind of can't really take my word for it. You have to discover that for yourself um you, you have to Kind of take the plunge, even if it's just starting by tipping your toe in it, of putting yourself out there saying, hey, this feels crazy. I don't know if there's anybody out there that's actually listening to this, but in the chance that there's a God, here's where I'm at and here's what I'm doing. If that's what it looks like for you to start, that's great. That's a great place to begin. And again, I think you'll find that there is a God who is listening and does care, but you have to experience that for yourself. The the Bible says as much. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say, take my word for it that the Lord is good. It says, taste and see. You need to go and discover that for yourself. I believe that you're going to do that through prayer, and that's where I'd suggest that you start.
0: I it's an excellent, excellent place to start that off. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there, because I think one of the things that when you first get into, into thinking about this kind of stuff, that judge laying out here, when you're first thinking about God, thinking about church stuff, and it's true, is that this is a relationship— that is unique and unlike any other relationship you're going to have. But one of the cool things about a relationship with God is that it does actually share a lot of characteristics with other relationships. That's a big part of the way the Bible describes it. Jesus talks about these many kind of relationships. So maybe if we don't think we know how to have a relationship with God, we can start looking at the relationships we do know how to have.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right, because I think for a lot of folks— they would think about um, a relationship with God as an extremely different kind of thing. So, you know, especially for folks who go to churches and there's like a, a real like liturgical construct, like there's a guy in a robe and he, you know, reads a certain thing and everybody stands up and then he reads another thing and everybody sits down and then everybody has to get in a line and receive the whatever, uh, the sacrament or whatever the thing is. And then we have to sing in a certain way or we, we chant in a certain way or we pray in a certain way. And so it feels like a really kind of uh, a, a totally different kind of footing. But the thing that I would, you know, just kind of piggyback right on the end of, of where, you know, Jed's response and exactly as you're setting this up, Matt, is that I would encourage anybody that's wondering about this just to think about other relationships in their life that they already have that are already good um like when you think about a key element of a really really good friendship it's like well we um we we hang out on purpose um we share things about our lives we ask each other questions um about kind of the the stuff that's not obvious about our lives we we share experiences we have memories we have inside jokes all that kind of stuff what i would say is to have a relationship with Jesus is actually to have those things, to spend time together, and exactly the way that Jed's talking about—to—to to have trust and openness, to share the things that you're going through and the things that you're feeling and the things that you're afraid of, all those kinds of things with the Lord. To talk about all that kind of stuff, to—to—to uh, to, to have inside jokes and to have shared experiences, emotions. To—to to, to you know, share your thoughts. Like one of the things that I would I would say, and this is something that that it's kind of advice that I give to people, to people in our church, to people in youth ministry, and that kind of stuff is when you feel like there are relationships that I feel on the outside of that I would like to be included in. I what the one thing I always say is, you know, it would be very easy to feel like other people are friends and I'm outside of that. Um, and then to kind of bend to get bent out of shape about that. The solution to that problem is whatever it would feel like to, to have that the friendship that I want, go ahead and give that away to somebody else. So if if I'm looking for a relationship with Jesus, whatever it is that I value in friendship, I want to go ahead and give that to him, extend that to him. If I want to be shared with, then I'm gonna share with him. If I want if I want to have quality time spent with me, then I'm going to take some time and spend some quality time with him. I I am in a unique place personally in like in, in the country that I live in where it's, it's just a beautiful time of year where the weather is extremely nice and the leaves are changing colors. And we have these, the, like the city that I live in has cut these green belts through some of the forest. That's not uh you know, where there's not houses or anything like that there's these great trails. And right now it's just the perfect time of year where like the the bugs have gone away and the leaves are changing. And it's just really, really pleasant to go on a walk in the woods. And I love to spend that time doing exactly what Jed described in his response, which is just talking to the Lord about all the things that I'm feeling, all all the things that I'm worried about, all the things that I'm afraid of, all the things that I'm excited about. In other words, The things that I want from a friendship, I am going to extend to the Lord in prayer and in time together and all that stuff. So I'm going to be open about myself. I'm going to be vulnerable about myself. I'm going to share experiences and I'm going to create that, the opportunity for that kind of relationship. All that to say, your relationship with the Lord, even if you've grown up or been raised in a really kind of stiff or liturgical tradition, Um, Your relationship with the Lord is just like, can be like any other friendship. And what that's going to mean for you is extending to Him the same kind of relational things that mean friendship to you in any other context. Um, Sharing experiences, sharing emotions, sharing fears, sharing vulnerability, um, inside jokes, memories, experiences, all that kind of stuff. Whatever a friendship means to you, extend that to the Lord Start there with prayer, exactly as Jed's saying. Carve out that time, be intentional about it, and give away the thing that you're longing for.
0: I think those are such great uh, places to start with this. And as to kind of piggyback exactly on what Lee is saying there, if you think about other um human friendships, wanting to be someone's friend goes a long way. Uh putting in the effort to uh to show up and uh you know, reach out to someone. If you think about, you know, trying to establish a a friendship with someone, you know, sending that text of, if you want to, Hey, do you want to hang out or I'm doing this? Do you want to be involved in that? Uh, It's a really great place to start when you're building a friendship and it kind of goes for relationship with the Lord. Like you've got, you don't need to stop everything you're doing and do different things. Now Um, you may need to, you know, start doing some other, some different things that, but that's for later on down the line. But right now you, you have a life and if you, want to start by inviting God into that, that's a great place to start with a relationship, with the stuff you're you're already doing, the things you're already thinking, the places you already are. To start that there is an excellent place to begin. We're going to jump to our second question here. It comes in and says, is it wrong that I run across some things in the Bible that, while I acknowledge they're in there, they just don't seem that important to me? Picking and choosing things from the Bible feels wrong, but I can't put it Effort into everything at once, can I? And Jed, another cool question. And I think, in some ways, going back to some of the legalism jokes uh, from the beginning segment, one of those things we may find is pretty common when we start thinking about how other people live, right?
2: Oh, there's no question. Two things that are the great equalizer. The first is everyone has to prioritize. You said, you know, I, I can't put effort into everything at once. You're right. You can't. And no one can. Everybody has to prioritize, which also means everybody picks and chooses. Everybody, absolutely everybody. There are no exceptions on that. You know, you you can meet the person who, who pounds the Bible the hardest and tells you that they're a fundamental literalist. They're picking and choosing too, man. There's no question about it. So let's, let's kind of run together through kind of a a few thoughts that pertain to your question. Um, the first is like, as you read the Bible, it, it is unavoidable that from a practical standpoint, there are some details that are more important than others. Uh, The word selah that comes up in the Psalms 75 times, no one knows what that word means. Um, Translators don't. They just have guesses. And uh, the perfect translation of that word almost certainly has nothing relevant to your life and challenges. You don't need to worry about it. Um, There's some scholar somewhere who's obsessed with it. It doesn't matter for you. It's fine. It doesn't make any difference. That's fine. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You don't need to worry about it. Um, Also, there are instructions in the Bible that just don't have anything to do with you. For example, Paul told people, greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do that. You're not going to go to any church in the United States that greets one another with a holy kiss. It's okay. Uh, that was an outgrowth of the culture of the time. It's not how people do that anymore. If you try to kiss people at church, it will not be well-received. You should not do that. It's okay. Also, if it's you fun. go to
1: Spain, people that are not Christians at all will kiss you on the
2: face, and so you just have to deal with that. Exactly right. you got to roll with the punches, man. Or with the kisses, as the case may be. Kisses being better than punches, generally speaking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there's definitely stuff in the Bible that just— doesn't really have anything to do with you, at least at this point in your life. You you don't really need to worry about it, and you don't need to feel bad about it either. It's it's fine. Um, we also need to be clear that there's this weird idea, at least in kind of American evangelicalism, and particularly actually in the reformed tradition, is almost a supernatural th- uh, belief, uh, a superstitious belief that knowing Bible facts will inherently make your life better, uh, and that's just not true. That is just made up nonsense. Um, you, if someone came to you and they said, you know, I have cancer, you wouldn't say to them, Solomon was David's son. That's a Bible facts. So you probably feel better now. That would be completely absurd. But there are a lot of churches that operate on that exact principle that if you just knew more Bible facts, you would have a better life. And that is not true. We, we need to actually identify that that's a superstitious belief that's being propagated, that it's not founded in reality. Some of the most premier scholars in the world today on you know, New Testament, Old Testament, both are atheists. You can know every word on every page and not believe any of them. The, the devil knows scripture very well. So this idea of you know more Bible facts just makes your life better is not true. To that end, the Bible does not need to be your hobby. Uh, If you just dig learning more stuff about the Bible, that's cool. That's great. But it does not make you a better Christian. Um, If you enjoy learning more about the Bible and you find that it enriches your life of faith, that's great. That's awesome. But that is not a requirement. It is worth noting that for vast swaths of human history, most Christians did not have access to the Bible. Most Christians could not read the Bible whether they wanted to or not for most of the history of Christianity. So if you're a person where you just, you just kind of love, you know, nerdy scholarly things and you want to point that to the Bible, that's great, but um, we need to not in a legalistic way make that a requirement for what a good Christian is because that's just not true and it just doesn't track. Here's what I would suggest to you. There is a life that God wants for you a life that uh, has a lot of joy in it, a lot of peace in it, a life that has a lot of compassion towards other people in it, there are things that are standing in the way of you living a little bit more fully into that life that God has for you. And per our first question and prayer, I would encourage you to be praying about what are those things that stand in the way? What are those things that hold you back from that really cool, really amazing life that God has for you? And one of the ways that we want to hear God's response to that is to ask, what does the Bible have to say about those things? Because those things are super relevant to your life. If you're struggling with, you know, figuring out how to have compassion towards other people, what does the Bible say about compassion towards other people? And why do I have a hard time with that? And and why do I not vibe with that? Am I prepared to wrestle with that? Wrestling is good. Wrestling with stuff that you read in the Bible is a good thing and a valuable thing. You should do that. But you should point that at the things that are relevant to your life, and what's relevant is what's standing in the way of me living a little bit more fully into the life that God has for me. The perfect translation of Leviathan from Job is not that. but Figuring out what's getting in the way of that peace and that joy and that compassion, that's the good stuff. That's where you want to point that prayer life and that Bible study.
0: Another fantastic start off here, and Lee, where do we take it from there?
1: Well, I, I mean, I would absolutely echo everything that Jed's saying there and you know the interesting thing about the scriptures is that the bible actually talks the bible actually prioritizes things yeah i mean you know the the bible is a gigantic book full of all kinds of stuff and it says a lot of things and it talks about a lot of things that that you know that that people who know god are supposed to care about and supposed to do um and what's really interesting is the schools that human beings have set up to give people degrees in being scholars of the Bible, the things that they prioritize are not always the things that the Bible prioritizes. Yep. So, like, you know, if you were to ask, if you, if you were to go to the dean or the provost of a, of a Reformed theological seminary and you were to say to them, what are the fundamental things that a Christian must believe or care about if they believe in Jesus? They would say things like um, the, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the uh, bodily resurrection from the dead, and you know, uh, uh, you know, justification by faith. First of all, let me, let me just go ahead and say, so nobody writes bad, you know, uh, funky emails to us, we believe in all of those things. We, we believe the Bible teaches those things. But there is no place in the Bible that says these are the fundamentals or the most important things you must believe. Understand, I'm not saying the Bible does not teach the, the, the deity of Christ. The Bible does teach the deity of Christ. I'm not saying the Bible does not teach the virgin birth. It does teach those things. It does not in any place, say that those are the fundamental things of the Christian faith, of what it means to know God or anything like that. Now, if you were to ask, okay, well, well, that, that makes me curious, what does the Bible prioritize then? Well, you would find that the Bible says things like, what does the Lord require? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, nobody, if you were to interview Anybody that has a PhD from a theological seminary and you were to say, what are the fundamentals of the Christian faith? None of them, I, I guarantee you, I bet you all of the money that none of them would say to love mercy, to act justly, to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. They would say uh, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the re- bodily resurrection from the dead and justification by faith. I'm not saying I don't believe those, those things I just listed. I'm just saying that those are not the actual things that the Bible prioritizes. When we look at Jesus' first sermon, Jesus, the first sermon Jesus ever preached, it was not about the virgin birth or the bodily resurrection from the dead or justification by faith. He said, I have come to proclaim justice for the oppressed, for uh, comfort for the poor, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are completely different things. All that to say, the Bible has its own list of priorities. You can't put all of your energy into all the scriptures at once. And I think part of the, the thing is realizing the Bible has its own list of priorities, and this is super important as well. And it goes right along with what Jeb was saying. You have a unique walk with Jesus and he is leading you into things. And so the question for you is, what does, what does God prioritize and what does God prioritize for my life? I, I'm not going to major on all of this stuff at once. It's a gigantic book written over the period of about 1,500 years by lots of different people in lots of different cultures and different genres. There's storytelling, there's songs, there's uh, chronological history, There's all there's letters. There's all kinds of different uh, types of writing going on here. The question is, in the life that God is calling me into, what does God prioritize in general, and what is the Lord calling me into specifically in my life? Um, what is He putting on my heart? Um, there are some things that are specific to my situation. And I'm I'm talking personally about myself right now. In my situation, in the town that I live in, in the ministry that the Lord is calling me into, that highlights certain verses in that Bible for the work that God is calling me into. And those are the verses that are firing me up right now. That doesn't mean I don't care about the rest of the Bible, but it does mean that God is calling me into a specific work in my time and my town. And they also happen to line up with the priorities that the, that the Scriptures prioritize, the things Jesus said in His first sermon, the things that God highlights in, in Micah 6.8, the things that Jesus highlights in Matthew 25, all that stuff. All that to say, find the Venn diagram overlap between the things that, that God prioritizes in the Scriptures Himself and the things that God is calling you into in your specific life, in your specific walk with the Lord, and then Let's major on those things, because that's where we're going to find the most impact and the most robust version of your walk with God where the scriptures fall into it. I think that's such
0: fantastic stuff from from both of these guys on this question. And I do want to take just a moment to reiterate again, because it is true, everybody is picking and choosing.
1: Yep. Um, yeah.
0: Just because some people try to pick uh, the same things as other people or try to pick something and really harp on it and pretend like it's the most important thing in the Bible. Everyone is picking and choosing. Um, If you didn't pick and choose you, your life would look like an insane person. Uh, There's, there's a guy is a long time, this is several, several years back, but a guy, it was a journalist who uh, was not Christian. And I don't think it was religious of any kind. Did a thing. He called, he wrote a book called the year of living biblically. And it was, uh, he did not uh, grow an immediate and uh, perfect Christian aura around himself by just following all the rules he could in that book. It was not about his, his uh, transition into a deep and meaningful relationship being led by the God of Abraham. It was trying to uh, follow a bunch of seemingly conflictatory and uh, arbitrary rules that, as these guys are pointing out, didn't have a lot to do with where he was in his life.
1: And it led into a weird year
0: yeah yeah that was that was definitely the main takeaway stuff got weird um as these guys are both saying uh, and the challenge i'd put forth is just start by what do you prioritize what's important to you in your life and the way you interact with people and what you want to see happen in the world go look for that in the bible i bet it's there i bet as as lee is saying you know i bet if it's if it's justice and if it's uh Helping people, and if it's healing, and if it's uh, truth, and any of those things that you think is important that the world needs more of, that you want to be part of putting more of into the world, I bet you're going to find that the Bible talks about it uh, and talks about it probably in very important terms. As far as you know, this versus that, and compare as Leah's pointing out with some of the historical stuff. A lot of the ways things and human groups come to define themselves is by defining themselves in opposition to other things. So kind of net by definition, you get really deep into the weeds of, you know, um, different kinds of baptism and really, uh, weird, um, theological fine points, not because they're important, but because that's what we think makes our group different than that other group. So we have to kind of lean on it, but when you get down to the, the basic basics, pretty much everybody agrees on it, so there's not a lot of fun to be uh, had in picking and choosing those, but start off with what you think is important. Start off with, uh, if you didn't have a Bible, if uh, you just thought there's a God that wants good things in this world and wants me to be a part of that, what what do I want to do in that? What would that look like? Start there, and if you uh, search the scriptures, I bet you're going to find something on that move to our final question here. It comes in and says, in Matthew 421, Jesus said, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? What does that mean? It kind of seems unhumble to think of myself as a light that needs to be put up on a pedestal, and I don't really think I should be held up as an example at all. And uh, I think another great question, and Jed, you know, we talk a lot on this, we've talked a lot on the show over the years about People who really super duper want to be in the spotlight and want everyone to be like them and be the example and how uh, a lot of times that's a huge red flag in every conceivable way. Oh, yes. And uh, we definitely stand by those assertions. But what does this verse take us to then?
2: It's a great question, and I'm right with you. I don't want to be on a pedestal either. So, uh, But I think we actually want to start by having a sense of what this would have meant to the people that Jesus is talking to, because it it would have meant something pretty darn different to them than it would today. So we're going to take a a very quick uh, history journey. So um, uh, a couple years ago, there's a great NPR podcast. It's kind of pop economics, and it's called Planet Money. And they did an interview with a lady who wrote a book about the history of light. And in order to kind of understand how the cost of light has evolved through the years. The measure that is used is how much light would a day's wages purchase? So for just a standard person, if they worked all day and they put every dollar that they got into purchasing indoor light, how much light would they get? And uh, today, we'll start with the present day. Today, if you work a standard job, and you put all your money into light, it will buy you about 20,000 hours of light. That's what a day's wages will buy today is about 20,000 hours, which means that indoor light is almost, in a sense, worthless. It costs so little to have a light on that we have lights on all over the place. We don't think about them, particularly with LED bulbs. Most of us don't turn lights off um, because there's just no reason. It just doesn't cost anything. By contrast, and I want you to start guessing in your head what you think light used to cost, because for most of human history, it was about the same. It began to change around the Industrial Revolution. Before that, it was basically the same for most of human history. And certainly in the time of Jesus, a day's wages put entirely into light purchased 10 minutes of light. If you worked all day long and you put every dollar into light, you got 10 minutes and so that is what jesus's audience would have had in mind as he was telling them sayings about being the light of the world is light is something incredibly valuable light is something scarce light is something precious if someone is if someone is lighting a lamp there's a reason for it there's a purpose for it because this is so costly that no one the idea of that's, that's the, the kind of the play of the absurdity of Jesus' statement is no one would, would light this thing that's just literally setting money on fire and then try and hide it, because that would be completely ridiculous. I don't know that the example really is about attention in the way that we're inclined to think about it. It's more when you've got this ridiculously expensive, scarce resource, you're going to try and make the absolute most of it because it is just so darn expensive. That's the context that Jesus's audience would have been hearing this in. I want to offer you a couple thoughts then on that basis. The first is, this light is only going to be on for a while, right? Since it's so expensive, we can't keep this light on all night. We're going to put it on, we're going to do whatever it is we got to do, and then that's it, because we can't just afford to keep burning it. So we need to make the most of it. And I think that there is a call from the Lord that when he brings opportunities, when he brings good stuff and good relationships in our life, figuring out how do I make the most of it? Um, that, you know, unfortunately in this world, impermanence is a big part of the experience. And how do I receive with gladness the things that God is giving me today, recognizing that tomorrow may be a different thing? The second thing that I would offer, this is just a thought for me, but, but I find in my life is, you know, in the same way that literal light lets you see, and, you know, one of the things historians tell us is that Before the invention of electric lights, most places were so dark at night. It was very hard to do much because it was just so darn dark. I find, for me, when I have joy in my life, when I'm intensely connected to joy, I see things so much better. I see everything differently. I can see where I'm headed in a way that I can't otherwise. I can see opportunities in a way that I can't otherwise. I can see so, so much better. And I know that I'm not going to have that connection to joy for the next month, because that's not really how that works. But I, I want to recognize when the light is on and really make something of that time. But the last piece that I would offer goes back to your idea of like, look, I don't want a ton of attention and I don't want to be put up on a pedestal. I hear that. I think Jesus is pointing to something else. And that is, in, in another saying that, that mirrors this one, he says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Here's the thing. If you're in a really, really dark place, and I don't mean emotionally, I mean like literally dark, there are no lights on, even a tiny candle is unhideable. There's no possible way to not notice that someone has turned on a light. If you're sitting in a dark theater and somebody pulls out their phone, you know immediately. There's no way to get around that. There's no way to hide it. I think part of what Jesus is saying is there is a light inside of you. There is something amazing about you, and there's yeah. no hiding it. You can try and pretend like it's not there. You can try to not acknowledge it. You can surround yourself with other people that that pretend to not see it and pretend to not acknowledge it, but it's there. And anyone who's willing to pay attention can see it because God has put this light inside of you. He's put this precious, precious, incredibly, incredibly rare thing within you that the world can see and that makes the world better just by you being in it. And that's at least part of what Jesus is pointing to.
0: Yeah, it's such a fantastic way to break that down. And Lee, what would you have to add to that?
1: I love it. I'm going to pick up right where Jed laid it down. I mean, my, my question is. Why couldn't it be you? Why, why, why can't you be the a, a light? I, I understand this thing of like uh, it, feels, it feels unhumble. Matt and I both have this friend named Sam, and he's just <laughs> he's the one of the most unique people I've ever met in the world. Um, in this and Matt's already giggling because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. there's just there's only ever been one of this guy. In the in the most beautiful sense of like, he's he's so self forgetful and 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 all the things about him that make him so wonderful. And in every room that he's in, you you wouldn't the room would be so much more boring if he weren't in it. And there's a way in which the Lord has made everybody that way in a certain moment, in a certain room, in a certain way, in a certain relationship, where like you step into it and you change it because of who you are, because of the way that he's made you. There's something that you bring into every situation. There's something that you bring into a specific situation. Literally no one else can bring it because God has made you a unique expression of his creative genius. And you are that light. Um, our, Our buddy Sam is the kind of guy that like, He just is like, (laughs) there's just like a self forgetful, uh, sweetness and fun and hilarity about this guy that like, if he wasn't in the room, it would suck so much more. And because he's there, it's so much more fun and so much more open and so much more amazing. Well, what is, what is my thing like that? What is your thing like that? It's not, it's not conceded to own that and to, and to rock that, to, to be that person um, to, to, to wield that and to understand it and to, and to feel comfortable in it. It's not a conceited thing or an arrogant thing to realize this is a thing that God has made me for and has given to me and a thing that I bring into the room. Like when you are in a conversation with my wife, for instance, my wife will make you feel listened to and understood and cared about in a way that no one else will, and it's just part of the giftedness of the way that God has made her. What is your thing? What is my thing? It's not conceited. It's not arrogant for me to, to, to wonder about that, to figure it out, and then once I start to understand it, to absolutely rock it just to bring that into a room, to bring that into relationships, to bring that into ministry, to bring it into conversations and to be that person, to just to let that light shine. That is not a conceited or an arrogant thing. That is you fulfilling the act the absolute purpose for which you were made, which was intentional. It was it was it was on purpose. You were made with a certain thing for you to absolutely rock it. And I hope that my, my my hope and my sincere prayer for you is that you would not only discover it, but that you would enjoy it and that you would love it. Because whatever those things are about you that are unique and special and that make the world a better place, that make conversations and relationships and ministries and moments better because you're there, those things, my hope and my prayer is that you would feel not only that you would feel aware of them, but that you would feel comfortable in them and excited about them because they are God's work in the world. Um, God made you to be a certain thing in certain moments. And we are glad that you're there. Um, My hope is that you would find them, be comfortable in them and then rock them out because you were made to do that.
0: I had such a fantastic word from both these guys. Um, I think Lee makes a really super important point there, which goes to something you say in your question, which is. This whole verse, and this concept about being a light, that's about being you. I think when we think of the idea of being held up on a pedestal or, you know, not not uh, being humble about something is the idea of I. there's an inherentness in that of everyone should do it this way. When we hold something up on a pedestal, we hold it up as, an, as a model, say, you know, we should all make things this way. And there's a kind of late capitalism thing of that also of, you know this is the best one. So we'll all do that. Every movie is kind of a Marvel movie. Every car looks like this kind of thing. Cause this one sold a bunch and it's all very, very samey. But what these guys are describing, what I, we think this verse is grabbing is not that it's not, you know, a single light that we're all trying to be like it's as, as Lee is saying, and as Jed kind of points out, out, uh, there is something inside you that should be put in a place where it can shine out, where other people can see it where it can have the impact it's supposed to have. But that's true of everyone else too. And that's not a competing thing. Um, Your light being on a stand doesn't make anyone else's light any more or less on a stand. I think that's an interesting thing of, you know, this analogy of do you put it under something or do you hang it up where it's meant to be seen? You can hang a bunch of lights up.
1: There's not a scarcity. If, If you're shining, it doesn't create a scarcity from anybody else shining.
0: That's the perfect, uh, word to describe that. And there's, there's no competition either. You put a bunch of lights in a room that are going to light up different parts of that room. They're going to interact in interesting ways. And we're all going to get, you know, more light in the overall thing, as opposed to you holding up yourself as, as, as Lee's pointing out for the things you do that's, the you know the light that shines out of you in the ways that it does doesn't diminish anyone else, doesn't uh, make anyone else lesser. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing about it. So it's a beautiful thing about that light kind of being put up on a stand. And nor does anyone else uh, doing that make you less special or less impactful or less worthy, which is kind of a, an awesome thing when you think about it in those terms. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com the bridge, slash ask. We're going to keep that entirely anonymous. We're going to take out with a song. Uh, Lee mentioned this verse earlier from Micah six, eight and the pool house guru happened to give us his own slant on that. Yeah. So we'll take out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The say that podcast, email us to figure
2: out the many, many ways you've sinned. <laughs>